Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. This is episode 39 of the Creative Giant Show, and I managed to get Natalie Sisson to slow down and join me today. This is going to be fun. Natalie is a number one best-selling author, podcaster, and speaker and adventurer who believes everybody has the right to choose freedom in business and adventure in life. She's on a mission to ensure 100,000-plus entrepreneurs do just that by 2020 over at thesuitcaseentrepreneur.com. Born in New Zealand, Natalie's built her multiple six-figure business from her laptop over the last five years while living out of her suitcase, traveling to 70 countries and showing others how to build a profitable online freedom business that supports their ideal lifestyle through her definitive freedom plan program. Natalie, thanks so much for the work you do and for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be a creative giant. Yeah. So, so we start. Where in the world are you today? Uh, I'm in Lisbon, Portugal. She's in Lisbon, Portugal. And, um, well, we might get into some of the other things going on, but um, I had a, a great <laughs> chance to view where she's looking and it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I'm very lucky with this view. It's part of the reason why I took the apartment, I think. <laughs> yeah, so um, as always, let's let's start with the origin stories. It's a great place to start. So before you started the Suitcase Entrepreneur, you had a few jobs in the corporate world in marketing, communication, brand, and product management for some major and diverse companies in New Zealand, England, and Canada. And you also tried modeling and TV presenting, moto, moto X racing, tennis, netball, triathlon, sailing, probably some ultimate frisbee in there too. So what led you to decide that entrepreneurship was the right path for you to go down? That's a great question. I'm, I think I should have been doing it much earlier. I just wish I'd had influences in my life and people who were entrepreneurs to kind of say, hey, have you considered this? Because if, if I look at my personality type and my creative genius or the zone that I like to be in and how I am around people who are trying to manage me, <laughs> I think it was probably something I was always cut out to do, but didn't necessarily get exposed to. Um, and I'm really glad that I took the path to get here. And the thing that forced me to take it was a job that looked amazing on paper, but in reality was uh, just kept me so ah so frustrated um i wasn't able to do any of the work i really wanted to do i wasn't able to make an impact i was micromanaged i was held back by senior management and limited perspectives and closed minds and the very job they brought me in to do they stopped me from doing and i think i'm forever thankful for that experience because it's the thing that forced me into starting my own business yeah, when we see people start the path towards entrepreneurship, we see two different ways in which they do it. Sometimes it's just because they find something they love and they keep doing it. Um, that was kind of my path. And then other people are like, I have this job that absolutely is soul-sucking. I don't want to do it. It's not a great fit for me. And they you know, kind of land as entrepreneurship is really the only option for their thriving. Yeah, I wouldn't even say um, in this case it was soul-sucking. It was more the fact that I wanted to make a difference, and I realized that I had to be the one to do that, not trying to use somebody else's vehicle. Does that make sense? So I think a lot of my jobs in the past helped me to experience and grow and, and see what it's like to be managed and be part of a team and play with other people's budgets and all those wonderful things. But when somebody tries to stop you from doing the very work you think you should be doing, that's that's the thing that drove me over the edge for sure. Take us back to a signature moment in that transition where you like you just knew you had to make a, a different change. 
Uh, it was pretty apparent to me because I usually take life by the horns and run with it. And I usually wake up every morning very thankful to be here and very excited to be doing what I'm doing. And I remember having a few too many days waking up in London, not actually wanting to get out of bed, go on the tube and make my way to the office. And that was just so unlike me. Like I, I questioned myself one day. I think I had like maybe four days in a row and I was like, that's terrible. We've got to put a stop to this. So I can remember it very, very clearly. Suitcase Entrepreneur isn't your first real business. So let's talk about the first one that you jumped into. Uh, the first one I jumped into, I'm very thankful for as well, because had I been doing that by myself, I think it would have been super scary. So I found I found a co-founding partner in Vancouver over a big glass of wine and cheese at a networking party um, who had a great idea for a business, which was essentially a, a payments app within Facebook. And he just hit on all the right pain points, I think, that I was really keen to help him build this business. And I knew the target market and audience that he wanted to hit. And uh, I said, I'm an unemployed bum and I'm really good at marketing <laughs> and he said great we should talk so um yeah that was how I started we started something called connection point systems we built a Facebook app called fundraiser to the to this day is actually the number one fundraising app on Facebook and it's going really really well but when I came in we just basically were starting something from scratch and it was a great way to jump into the the pool of entrepreneurship but not solo um, using somebody else's money to a point. I did help raise finances for that company. I was essentially helping not create the app as the product developer, but finding an audience with zero budget and zero knowledge of us and getting them to believe in our app and test it and everything. So it was a fantastic experience across the entire spectrum of what it takes to run a fast-growing tech company. How long were you with the team? Uh, it was around 18 months, but you know what? It felt like five years because as you probably know, with startups of any kind, especially in the tech world, you're, you're just working insanely long hours, drinking too much coffee and just becoming so incredibly tired to everything that you do. I think I lived and breathed it for those 18 months every single day. Um, Why did you leave the team? Uh, two reasons. Uh, I didn't actually believe in the product at the time. Like I think we had this problem of featureitis, like so many companies do when they're developing software and apps and it had turned from something that had a lot of potential into this clunky thing that did nothing for anybody and I can't market and stand behind something that I don't fully believe in and I wasn't sure even though my business partner is fantastic and we could talk about it I just wasn't sure that my ideas were getting put out there in the right way and that we were making any progress so it was a decision on that behalf and also because during my time there I was obviously responsible for everything related to getting this thing off the ground and marketing it um, and I'd started a blog for the business and I'd also started my own blog to talk about my journey which was really cathartic for me and that blog became my passion and my co-founder rightly said Natalie you're so passionate about this and that's a great thing you should go off and create a business out of that and I was like, what a brilliant idea. So um, that's exactly what I did. Give us a timestamp on that, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, so from when I started that blog? Yes, from when you started that blog. Like, where are we in history? Yeah, so I think we started the company in September 2008. I started my personal blog in late 2009. And then I left the company in April 2010. So... Uh, Pretty short time frame, I guess, with that blog. I'd had it for about five months, but I'd really, I was doing, I feel, just as much work on the blog as I was on the company, which probably should have been a warning sign. <laughs> yeah, probably should have been a warning sign. And then there's just the way you live your life where you had all of the sports and rowing and biking and all the other stuff you do, which is, you know, from what I've seen from you is another full-time job. 
I think it was back then because I love creative outlets and I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about, you know, moving your body and getting outdoors and taking on challenges. Um, and actually wasn't doing those all at that time. A lot of that happened before then and then after. But yeah, absolutely. I like to have things going on in my life that challenge me and push me in. Um, I need to do more of those challenges right now, actually. I think there's another fitness challenge coming on in the near future. Oh, I can sense that coming. Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, challenges and being pushed. So in the first, let's say, two years of business um, in Suitcase Entrepreneurs, what were the different things that were challenging you and pushing you? Oh, my God. Everything. I mean, I had a few nights crying on the pillow because I really wasn't entirely sure what I'd done. I'd left behind this technology company and a great co-founder and cool team to just leave with a blog and no idea of how to monetize it or what to do. So the first six months alone were zero income. I had nothing to offer, actually. It was crazy. I'm just trying to figure out how to build a community, how to build a following, how to blog better. Uh, and so I think every single piece of that was a challenge how to set up a business. Uh, I was in Vancouver at the time, so a, a BC-based business. And then, of course, once I did start monetizing, I ran a workshop, a physical workshop, and, and then turned that into an online product. Just every single aspect of that, email marketing, launching a product, creating webinars, um, every single aspect was a challenge, but a really fantastic one. So you came in with a lot of marketing savvy, which is unusual in a lot of ways for a lot of bloggers. Um, you kind of learn marketing on the fly. Um, mm -hmm. If we could say, like, what was the most challenging thing, areas of business for you? What were those things? Well, even though I had marketing savvy, it was in things like, you know, marketing hair care brands and running events and, um, you know, print magazine advertising, billboard advertising, um, figuring out all the SKUs and all that sort of stuff, dealing with the warehouse and customer service. It was nothing really to do with online marketing. I think the most I'd ever done was some updates on websites, but that really, we didn't do email campaigns, anything. Um, for sure, it helped. I'm not taking away from that. But I, I would say the entire aspect of... How do you scale a business when you're the only person behind it? So I think the biggest challenge for me was putting on a CEO hat as opposed to I'm right in the business right now. And um, I think a lot of people struggle that, with that when they're starting out. How do you <laughs> see the vision of the company while you're trying to actually be the company? That was probably the hardest thing for me to do. Delegate, start hiring team members and look at how I could grow a company, which at the time just didn't even feel like anything but me. I'm sure you're used to that. <laughs> you get that all the time with your clients, right? And the biggest thing was probably self-belief. Like, as you know, who am I to do this? Like, who am I even to call myself? I didn't even call myself an entrepreneur um, for a long, long time because I didn't, didn't fully believe it. I've had a lot of people tell me that when they have a lot of training, you know, if they've got an MBA or if they have a lot of experience in other people's businesses, that one of the most challenging things for them is when they start their own business, like realizing that while a lot of the skill sets apply, the mindset of being in your own small business owner and an entrepreneur is dramatically different. And they struggle because they expect it to be better at those things that they were better when they were playing with somebody else's money and team. Mm -hmm. um, did, did you experience that as well? Or was it just the general entrepreneurial existential crisis that got you? 
<laughs> I think I did. And then in other ways, I surprised myself with stuff that I, I didn't have enough of an idea about, but I naturally took to. So I guess there's always a trade-off, right? Some of those things I was like, I should, I should be better at this. I've done this before with other people's money and time. And other things I was like, huh, I didn't know that I had the skill or this natural affinity to be able to do this well. So it balances out. So we talked about the challenges and what pushed you. Let's talk about your spark moments, those moments in which like, <laughs> you really knew you were on to something and like, oh, man, I got to keep doing that. What were those spark moments for you in the first, let's say, two, three years? I think the beauty of building a community is that they provided me with those spark moments. So in the times when I was like, I should give this up, I don't actually have a business, uh, all those who am I to do this moments, I'd get one email. I'd just get an email at the right time when I was having my doubts. And it would be like, Natalie, the work that you do matters. Or I read your blog post and it inspired me to do X. Or Natalie, you did this four months ago and I've gone on to do this and I just wanted to thank you for that. And Seriously, I think those were the spark moments because they always came at the right time. They came at the time when I was having the most doubts and wanted to give up. And uh, I'm really, really grateful for that. And it still happens today. Not that I have half as many doubt moments, but it just every so often when you need it, that's when it happens. It's like the, the universe is calling and says, hey, we need to send that a little a feel good vibe. Yeah, it's just right when you reach that moment, <laughs> that moment to where, depending upon one's religious and spiritual beliefs, that you actually start praying. You know, it's like, okay, like, and that's, what, that's when help arrives, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's something that you learned that you wish somebody had told you before you started? Ooh, that's a goodie. Uh, I, honestly, I think it comes back to the self-belief. I mean, we probably quote Seth Godin a lot in our podcast, respectively, but uh, I love that, you know, give yourself permission to do the work. And I don't know if I was sitting around waiting for permission so much, but I definitely had moments where I was like, you are the only person who can do this right now. It's completely up to you whether you succeed or fail. It's up to you whether you believe in this or not. So I wish that I had I had backed myself more from the beginning. And to be fair, if I look at it, I had a pretty speedy um, kind of growth spurt. But to me at the time, it, it didn't seem like it because I wasn't fully behind myself. Let's take the flip side. What did what did someone tell you that you found to be, at least for you, to be total BS? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, th I was lucky, I think, to have some some good mentors and advisors at the beginning. But honestly, actually, Charlie, I didn't have that many. So I tended to listen to my own voice. So maybe it was some of my own BS. Um, oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can actually answer that. I feel like the answers that I got at the time, even if they weren't quite on target, still served a purpose. Or I still took a learning lesson out of them, even if I applied it later. I'm, I'm lucky to maybe not surround myself with people who, who tell me things that just aren't true. Yeah. And you also you also jumped into it. So I mean the reason I asked that one is there there are some creative giants listening to us right now and they've been thinking about starting a business, they've been reading about it, they've been, you know, or you know, I, we say business, we talk a lot about business, but just doing their thing, whatever that mm -hmm. thing might be. And they might be in a point of conflicting evidence or just stuck. And so I just wanted to say sometimes um, there are things that you don't know until you start and you, you just have to learn it as you go. And then there are other times in which you'll read something that just won't apply to you and you've got to learn that too. Yeah, true. And I think if there is one thing, then I'm lucky that when I started, nobody said, oh, you know, you can start making money within a certain amount of time. I think most people told me this is going to be a long 
journey so don't expect instant results um and i think that is very true and now i catch myself telling my uh freedom plan members you know like you might be doing all the right things but it might take you a lot longer than you think and that is okay like to sit with that and to not expect the most magnificent results in the short time frame because in the past you've seen people accelerate because you can never tell what's behind their journey and what they did before that so yeah, there were a few people who were like, oh, you should be able to do this. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure I believe you. And then there were others who definitely said this is going to be one of the hardest, most challenging journeys of your life, but the most rewarding. Yeah, I get an uninvited from a lot of entrepreneur parties because I'm like, you know, it might take you 18 to 24 months before you actually have a business model that you have any idea of what it works, you know? And they're like, absolutely, that's, that's not cool. Like, I, I want to <laughs> I, like, I start a blog and make money tomorrow. Mm-hmm doesn't quite work like that for a lot of people sometimes it does but i wouldn't plan on that no and can i just add an example to that i I was on a a group coaching call the other day and i had a lady saying natalie you know i've been following your program and i've followed other programs to the t and it's not working for me it wasn't so much mine but she was like and none of it's working for me um and i said well have you definitely implemented these things and she's like i've implemented most of them and i when i went to her website i realized you know, I could just straight away tell her about five things that she wasn't doing. And it was all based around her rather than who she was trying to serve. And it struck me that maybe nobody had ever just made that an inherent point in any of their courses. Like that's just a natural given, right? You're, who are you helping? Who are you serving? What's your why? What are you doing for them? Not me, me, me. And uh, it just was an instant. I looked at it and I was like, well, here's your problem straight off. Like you are doing a lot of the right things, but you're not serving the right people. And she's like, ah, just, it was just one of those moments where I was like, huh, maybe we should make that implicit in anything that we teach yeah i try to sometimes i don't do a good job but you know that's (laughs) the thing is um one of my one of my good friends um he's also on podcast i believe number mm, four jonathan fields oh that guy but but you know we're talking about like i was having him look over a page and you know one of the things that he said was you know take every instance where you where you talk about yourself where you say Mm -hmm. i and convert that to some type of you statement for the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, except for in like the who am I type of thing, right? And then that's where mm-hmm. you get, and so I was like, hmm, time for a rewrite. <laughs> you know, and that's why we have friends because they see it. They see the stuff that, that sometimes, even though you teach it, you don't see it. Yeah, absolutely. Although I have to say, um, on my podcast recently, my Fresh and 15, which is just a 15 minute one on Thursday, I've been actually talking more about myself, but for the purpose of helping others. Mm -hmm. And so it's felt a little bit like the Natalie monologues, but I've had such amazing feedback from it because I'm essentially saying, here's where I'm at in my journey and what I'm experiencing. And you might experience that too, although it does seem like I'm just telling them about my life, but it's with a purpose. And I think people have been appreciating that. Yeah, I, I think that's the major difference, and it's a fine balance, right? Because um, mm-hmm. I, I do that as well, not so much on the <laughs> show. Well, more on this on this particular episode than normal. But um, there's a way in which, like, people that you're working with, that you're trying to help and lead, need to see you and mm-hmm. what you're doing so that they can see themselves in you. Absolutely. Um, and see their stories in you. And also know that, you know, you don't have everything figured out. Um, and then there's a time in which you're just talking about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so watch out for the talking about yourself and why you're so awesome. Um, and instead, use, use your experiences, your life, your, your struggles and challenges and setbacks and everything as, as a mirror um, or a case for them to learn from. Absolutely. All righty. So transitioning a little bit, let's talk about your book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are two real things that, that I always love talking about book journeys. It's one, how did you actually sit down and get the book done? And two, um, what was the total process of publishing and everything like for you? Ooh, lots of big juicy topics. Well, do you realize that I just realized right now that this is actually the month when I bought out my book two years ago. So I cannot believe it's been two years because you put so much effort into a book and then it's done and out and suddenly two years later you're like, ah, oh, it's getting old. Um, so the process that I took was I'm not going to go through a traditional publisher because that kind of went against everything that I stand for in terms of freedom, freedom of choice and freedom of doing. I did my research before that because I think everybody technically wants to be represented by a publisher, but I was like, well, wait a minute, I can choose my book cover, my title, um, the language that I use in it, the chapters, the structure, everything. I can stay in control of the sales that I make, the pricing, I can actually understand how many I'm selling. So I decided to do a Kickstarter, uh, which I'm really, really grateful that I did because one, it is like its own mini launch, which was took a lot of effort, but I basically was saying to people, if you believe that that you have the right to have freedom of business and adventure in life. And if you believe this book should be written to help people achieve that, then kind of put your money where your mouth is and support it. And it got fully funded. It got overfunded. And uh, that just showed me that there was a reason to write my book. And in addition to that, I had now 200 plus people who all believed in the book and wanted to see it written. And it was a massive accountability partner because I said, you will have this book in July 2013. And at that point, it was the end of March. And I was like, holy crap, I've got to get this thing written. So it had a lot of um, great points to it. And as a technique, I highly recommend it, although I think it's a little bit harder to do these days because crowdfunding campaigns and platforms are being used in different ways. Um, and it's getting harder and harder and more competitive. And from there, I just set about writing it. Um, I can't say I had anything really amazing. I didn't use Scrivener. I just basically opened up a Word document, sat on a plane one day and went, I think this is the things that I want to discuss. And it seemed to come out around 12 chapters and I defined them a little bit more. I sat next to a passenger on a plane and I was like, hey, can I just read out <laughs> the chapters that I think? And do they sound good to you? Do they sound enticing? Would you pick up this book? And uh, I don't know if they were my best target market, but they're like, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> so off I went. And then every day I would actually just, um, well, almost every day I would just sit down at my laptop with my Word document and work on the chapter that I felt inspired to work on that day. And uh, it, that was it literally until I had a month left and I was in Berlin and I was like, Right, I've really got to write every single day. Um, and what I loved about the whole process is that I reached out to my audience during it to help pick the book cover, to help kind of morph the chapters and what the, the theme of them was. And it was absolutely all original content by one con one chapter where I actually took a blog post and added to it. And I it really surprised me that I rewrote everything I knew. And uh, that was pretty much the process. And the minute I put it onto Amazon, it became a bestseller in that first week, I think truly because of those 200 people who were backing it because the minute it went out they they shared it they believed in it and uh it forced a whole lot of other people to pick it up so i'm really thankful for that um what was your original funding goal just for context uh oh great question so i essentially wanted to replace what i might have got as a first-time author through a publisher and i'd spoken to actually jonathan fields and pam slim and many of our mutual friends to get a feeling and they were like well when they were starting out, it was anywhere between five and $10,000 was kind of what you could expect as a benchmark that may have changed now, but uh, that's what I went for. I also worked out costs of what a website would be, the publishing, the formatting, the editing, the copy editing, um, the cover design, everything, and it, it came out around that amount. Plus, I think I added in a little bit 
for a book tour, which essentially I actually funded. And so, yeah, it came out around $10,000. I did it through the UK Kickstarter platform, but uh, it was brilliant. I think it it ended up costing me more over time, but uh, it was definitely worth it at the time. Yeah, so this is just an aside on Kickstarters, like, and this is for people who want to use them to, to generate money. Um, what I've learned with, you know, talking to a lot of people, my own clients, is it's probably better to consider Kickstarter a PR um, project that mm-hmm. you're building a lot of good visibility around it, as opposed to um, other things. Because by the time you calculate the soft costs and things like that, you know, Natalie's experience of the actual money um, coming from it not necessarily being incredibly lucrative is is rather (laughs) not saying that there's not a good reason to do it right absolutely very very good reasons to do it but don't do it solely because you think that you know that that 10k is gonna you know gonna gonna get you a lot further (laughs) no and uh, for me it was totally a marketing pr tool it was brilliant and you don't make money on books as we all know so it was just more to get people behind it what i did love though charlie is that there was a pledge um pledge level that was you can help me edit the book and I couldn't believe that 10 people paid around $130 uh, to help me edit the book I mean literally they were paying to edit my book I thought that was ludicrous but they <laughs> took it on and, and they loved it and so that was also an accountability tactic because every couple of weeks I'd drop box them the latest chapter and then I'd get them to all add and track their changes and then I'd morph that into one and so it took a bit of extra effort but I really appreciated the editing along the way and uh, it was just a really I think it was probably one of the best moves I've ever made yeah so if you're listening to this you might be thinking man natalie is she's this raging introvert and she doesn't like she's really shy about asking for things right <laughs> um so actually i mean let's let's talk about that you do uh, you know I, I i listened to amanda palmer's book this morning it's a fantastic book the art of asking she, you should read it just go read it um but how did you really embrace this this i this art of asking that you seem to have going on well, first off, Amanda's um, TED Talk is also excellent. So if you're short on time, that's a great one to watch. Um, it's interesting that you say that I'm good at asking because I think I used to suck at it. And I think when I first got over my fear of wanting to ask, because I'm a very independent person and I usually just do my thing and, and try to do it by myself, was with my $100 change program, which was having to ask over 100 experts if they would give me a piece of their knowledge or wisdom that I could put into this book. And it had a whole nonprofit element to it. And that was the first time that I actually had to call on my network and ask them for a favor. And it came back to me in droves. Like the karma was incredible. People were super generous, was amazing. And I was like, oh, this asking things a little easier than I thought if you do it for the right reasons. So when it came to the book, I felt there'd been enough time between those and I'd, I've given enough and been generous enough with information, content, uh, podcasts, blogs, giving free workshops, everything. And I was like, I think hopefully this is going to come back to be beneficial and people are going to support it. Um, but it definitely felt like, especially during that Kickstarter campaign that I was asking a lot of people and I was trying to be really mindful of that. Um, and luckily people support it. But I think if you do it with the right intention and you're all about the vision that you have and the passion behind it, rather than being selfish, could you just promote my book? Um, people really, they will support that and they'll buy into it. And those who don't will happily tell you, which is also, you know, good to have that feedback. What's really happened as a process of writing the books, you know, over the last two years? that I have a platform and a basis for the foundation of all of my work. Um, From that book, I just got solid and clear and concrete on who I'm serving 
and what I'm doing and what my positioning is in this market. Um, it really helped me to define from there and build out other programs and products. So the Freedom Plan has come out of my book and a lot of other work I've done, but essentially it was the foundation for that whole program. And I think it's just really positioned me in a world as one of the few females doing this stuff that can, can be out there against Tim Ferriss and go, hey, there's other people doing this in a different way, but still with the fascination around freedom. So in so many ways, it helped my confidence. It helped me solidify who I am and who I serve. And it's brought a lot of extra attention, I think, that I just wouldn't have been able to get had I just stayed on my own platform. That's interesting that you mentioned sort of the lifestyle or life redesign aspect of things because you, you know, you're in the market with um, Chris Guillebeau with Tim Ferriss, you know, there's a, there's a crop of other folks that sort of own that, that realm. Um, Absolutely. And in some ways, one, one view of it is that it's a saturated market. There are plenty of people talking about freedom, plenty of people mm-hmm. talking about this on the other, on the other perspective. Um, I still think that there are plenty of people who don't understand the different ways in which entrepreneurship or again, broadly speaking, like doing your creative thing can actually enable a certain type of freedom. What's your unique take in this realm that you would want people to know about? Well, first off, I'd love to touch on what you just said, because I personally feel the market's getting ridiculously saturated, but then I'm living and breathing it. So I'm just watching all these people come in to tell you how to quit your job and make money online. And I'm like, dude, you have just quit your job and you don't know how to make money online. So that that lack of integrity coming into the market is, is certainly frustrating me and worrying me. But then there's also a lot of people who have been leading the way for a long time who have a really great base of integrity who luckily people are following. Um, and to come back to your question surprisingly a lot of people who talk about freedom and preach it i actually don't think have a lot of it so they're really good at talking about it but the way in which they live their life or the way in which they determine what they do to me doesn't actually reek of freedom so that sets me apart a little i think in what i try to do because i'm trying to get people to consider what freedom means to them in their everyday life and my version of it could be completely different to yours could be completely different to somebody with a family um and i'm seeing more and more and more that people just want the ability to choose how they spend their time and who they spend it with so for them that might just be actually working from home and being able to spend more time with their kids um So my unique take on it is that everybody has their own version of their freedom plan and that I want them to live it in the best way possible. So that's my job. I don't know if I'm answering your question fully, but to come back to freedom even more, that's why I'm developing this new body of work this year called Right to Freedom, which is where I actually want to develop the first hopefully ever global study on what freedom is, which is a massive topic to undertake. I'm sure I can hear you going, oh my God, Natalie. Uh, But I'm really excited about it because I feel like I'm going to have to go back to scratch and look at it from a completely different perspective and take in a whole lot of um, cultural aspects, political aspects, social aspects, personal aspects, and really delve deeper into what freedom is. So that would be my point of difference right now. Yeah. As, as an ethicist and social philosopher that, that's done a lot of research on freedom and liberty, um, that's a big topic. Um, I know, freedom, and great, you're going to be a- freedom, individual freedom, social freedom, political freedom, like all the different ways in which we attach freedom and the different adjectives and how they contrast and interplay. It's, it's quite a woolly topic, which is one of the reasons I stay away from it on the blog, because it's, it's challenging. Absolutely. And thank you for volunteering yourself up for a call with me in a few months where I'm going to pick your brain in the right way, because that would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to talk to you about it. Um, I think I can also send you some posts. There's some posts that I have on the two different concepts of freedom and things like that that that, um, pull back some of that literature. But yeah, it's a big topic. 
It is huge. And I'm starting off with personal freedom because you've just pointed that out as well. I'm very much aware of what a rabbit hole this could be. So I have time to start digging. <laughs> time to start digging. Um, as, I, as I get more progress on my dissertation, I might be able to lend some more help on that. Fantastic. All righty. So um, we mentioned before the call that you're going through some transitions right now. So, so really, what's going on in your world there? Uh, by the way, that was me asking. See that? That was how you ask. Um, so going on in my world are some very interesting things, ironically, around freedom um, and the way I live my lifestyle. For those people who are listening who don't know, I literally do live out of a suitcase and, and travel pretty much full time and I don't have a base and I never really stay anywhere for longer than a couple of weeks. And I've loved doing that for about the last five years. And now I've got to this place where I would really like to slow down and do less travel, spend more time in fewer places, develop relationships with my friends and deepen those connections, learn more about cultures. And I'm going through this transition of being okay with that and knowing how it may or may not affect my brand and how it may or may not affect my work and my audience and who resonates with me, etc. And it's, it's letting go of some of my preconceived conceptions around that and also embracing the new the new Natalie and the new world that I'm going into and it's all happened in the last couple of weeks it started when I landed in Europe um, and fell in love with Portugal and actually had a digital sabbatical for about a week and a half and realized that I wanted to be on this kind of permanent holiday for a bit and that I really wanted to slow down and just be Um, and it's all been happening in the last couple of weeks so you're getting it fresh right now (laughs) getting it fresh I always love those transitions I mean you mentioned landing in Portugal but um, what are the other sort of catalytic elements going on for you right now that, that's causing this personal shift? Ooh, genius question. Um, I like your insight. A uh, couple of things. Family. Uh, had a bit of a health scare in family back home in New Zealand, and that definitely just made me sit up and take notice and, and look at my priorities. Um, I think, honestly, this has been coming for a long time, but it's only now that I'm really prepared to acknowledge it and do something about it. I think I almost had to get, not sick off, but I had to get to this point of like frustration where I would actually take action. And honestly, Portugal has kind of crept in and grabbed my heart. And uh, I've been to 69 countries and counting and it's rare for me to, I mean, I've, I've liked so many of those countries and I've often said, oh, I could live here, but but there's just something about being here that's really resonated with me and made me want to slow down and, um, and take it all in. So that plus just where I'm at in my life and where I'm at with my business and rearranging my priorities. Yeah. I um, often have experienced with myself and friends and clients that what generally contrasts or anchors that freedom is some type of love. And it could mm-hmm. be a new relationship that you're in. It could be a new body of work that you've count, found. It could be where you live in just a place. But that, that love seems to really counterbalance the the over um, the overemphasis on freedom. Not saying you've been overemphasized on freedom, but <laughs> it's not uncommon for someone to find that thing that they love that just radically shifts things for them. Yeah, it's not uncommon, but it's uncommon for me. So I'm just I'm sitting in that place right now and um, dealing with it, and I'm enjoying it. I'm embracing the unknown, and I don't have the answers, and that's rare for me. And uh, and I'm okay with that. Um, for example, I just cancelled my trip back to the US, and I cancelled two speaking gigs that I was at with you know with plenty of time to tell them. So I felt felt okay about that, and they were super understanding, and it felt really 
like the right move, which was great. And um, I've had a lot of discussions with friends who know me very well. And it just, it's almost like my entire community as well have seen this and witnessed it through my newsletters. And I've never had so many personal responses in the last two weeks, because obviously what I'm saying is really, it's raw and it's fresh and it's coming across and people are, are resonating with it. So that also seems to me that I'm making the right move. And you're right on the freedom front. It's interesting that Apparently, too much, and you know this probably more than me, but there's been research done that too much freedom can actually lead to depression because people can't handle it. And uh, and not that I feel I've got to that point, but I definitely am embracing um, having some more groundedness and structure and um, and base and, and a little, not less freedom, but freedom of my own choosing. Yeah, so it turns out that negative freedom, i.e. freedom from, tends to be fairly existentially hollow for people. Um, mm. what tends to be much richer for people is freedom too. Mm. Um, and so that's positive freedom. And so at a certain point, um, it, it becomes one of those to where to the freedom too is where we actually start to provide richness and meaning and beauty and purpose to our lives. Um, and freedom from just, you know, um, doesn't do that for a lot of people. I'm going to rewrite my sales page based on that. It's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Um, and, and you may have you may have just mentioned this, but I'm gonna go ahead and ask it. Like, what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Hmm. I actually think it's in the transition itself. Like, it's me letting go of of being the the eternal traveler, the digital nomad, the the suitcase entrepreneur, and embracing being cool with being in one place and 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 enjoying that. That makes sense. Yeah. Is the internal story about yourself more challenging or the external story about what you think people are going to think about you more challenging at this point? I think, ooh, I was going to say a combo of both, but quite honestly, you know, I care about what people think, but not that much that I would stop anything. And I, I think I can tell any story and because of the devotion that I put into my community and and that they love the journey I've been on, it's not going to be a problem. Like you'll lose people along the way and you'll gain other people who now get you and that you resonate with. So I think it's more an internal, it's an internal one. Mm, Those are the best ones. Yeah. Alrighty. (laughs) If people remember nothing else about you and your work, what's the one thing you want them to take away? Well, I hope they do remember something. Uh, I believe you just have to be, this is going to sound so naff, but this is the state that I'm in. You just have to be true to yourself. Whatever decision you make for yourself at that time is the best decision for you and to be comfortable with sitting with that and embracing it with everything that you have. I would like people to do that more in their lives because I feel a lot of people make decisions based on other people or what they think is right or what they feel they should be doing rather than what they really want to do. Natalie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Shelley. Okay, Creative Giants, you heard it from Natalie. What can you do to be more true to yourself today? What decisions have you been holding off on or perhaps making that may need to be reconsidered so that you can start becoming more of who you are. We need that out there in the world. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.